You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. What's going on, everybody? Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside my returning co-host and founder of Review and Preview, Johnny Montalbano. Johnny, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Tom, I'm doing great. It's good to be back on with you, and uh, it's exciting to do this in consecutive weeks, and uh, even better as uh, we can talk about some positivity with our New York football giants, so I'm doing great. I'm happy to hear that. And the first time, all four as in both New York football and New York baseball teams win on the same day. I believe the last time that happened was 2009. The Giants, Jets, Mets, and Yankees all win on the same day on Sunday. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments, folks. But first, our weekly plugs. Make sure to go follow us on all of our social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Review and Preview. We're on the Anchor as well for our audio versions and um our Facebook page, make sure to like and share the show the way the algorithms work. Now, the more people that like the show, the more it gets seen and the better for us. Um, we really appreciate you. And we'll make sure to shout you out in the comments section. If you have comments like Hank and Dick, just had one. My guys, Hank. how's it going? What's up? What up, Hank? Um, a co-host of both Johnny's and mine. Um, yeah, feel free. He's, to, that, uh, he's the Venn, he's that middle guy in the Venn diagram, and yes, in all of this. Although the, I'm starting to get there too now, too. So and that's the, a good thing. He's the middleman. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, yeah, any comments you have on our questions throughout the course of the night, we'll feel feel free to take them. But uh, you know, Johnny, first and foremost, let's talk about our New York Football Giants. And I know you're from South Carolina. And I know this must have been a great feeling for you living down there, being in the minority. Uh, Giants win 19-16 and prove the 2-0 for the first time since 2016 and move up two spots in the number 19, um, actually two number 19 in the NFL power rankings. Johnny, what was your thought process as the Giants won this game on Sunday and throughout? How are you feeling? Well, I I remember when I was on with you last week, uh, I was not as confident about the this game because I felt like Carolina had was the better talented team. And I felt like after the way that Baker Mayfield and the team had played in their week one opener against the Browns, I thought they were going to come out strong, but you know, right out of the gate, Tom, I think you had to be very, very happy. And I, and I was, I mean, you know, to recover the uh, opening kickoff uh, that fumble recovery to open it up and get some points on the board was nice. And, you know, how about our defense, you know, stripping the ball away. I mean, you don't ever see that. Now, I will say at the same time early on, you would have loved I would have loved to have gotten a touchdown in that spot. To only get two field goals was kind of a disappointment. But 
I got to tell you, after watching this whole game, not only winning it, but the way that we did it, I actually was thrilled because I felt like, you know, in the opening game, I felt like the first half wasn't great. The second half, I thought we played better. I would say for the far majority of this game against Carolina, I felt like the Giants were the better team. And it may have not showed it in the numbers. It may have not showed it from the outside. But if you watch this whole entire game like I did, um, if you really pay attention and really look into detail about this game, I think the Giants did great offensively. They did just enough offensively. I thought they were very, very good defensively, especially considering the personnel that they had. And their special teams were absolutely fantastic. Again, the kickoff, uh, recovering the fumble in the kickoff. Mm -hmm. uh, Graham Gano, two 50-plus yard field goals. I think the coaching was fantastic once again. Between Wink Martindale on defense and, of course, Brian Dable uh, as the head coach. I'm I'm happy. I have to be honest with you. I mean, I'm thrilled that we're 2-0. I think that they played great. So I'm sitting here right now, and I'm getting very, very excited looking ahead to uh, Monday night against the Cowboys for sure. And not to mention, this is a weaker Giants roster than last year, but the coaching is better all around. Uh, sure. The assistants as well. Uh, in particular, Wink Martindale. Um, the blitz frequency has been insane. Um, guys love to play for him. And you saw the coverage from Adoree Jackson this past week was insane. Um, you know, Fabian Moreau eventually replaced Cordell Flott. That was an issue. But the Giants were able to keep Baker Mayfield under duress. He only threw for 145 yards uh, throughout the air. Julian Love had a hell of a game. The Giants only did a one linebacker set as well. They played Julian Love as that second linebacker next to Blake Martinez. And, you know, I think – we all knew Barkley wasn't going to have as special of a day as he did in week one, but he still contributed. He earned those hard-earned yards that were tough to get, those winning yards at the end of the game, Johnny. And obviously we can talk about David Sills being um, started over Kenny Galladay. David Sills played like 92% of the snaps, which was insane. Well-deserved, by the way. And then yeah. Daniel Jones, who didn't have his best game, but he had that nice touchdown drive. And the one thing about Jones – He's learning how to win. He's learning how to make winning plays when it matters most towards the end of the game. If you look at that last play where he's about to take off with the football, David Sills is wide open on a play-action bootleg. But Jones knows you're up by three. You don't need to take that chance down the field. So he stutter steps Ionitis and then takes up the field for 10 to 15 yards and slides, which was the eventual game-winning run. And the last thing I will say is you can't say enough about Graham Cano and what he was able to do on special teams, Johnny. Uh, 56-yard field goal tied for the second longest field goal in Giants history. Crazy stat right there. And yep. just very happy where this team is all around. I think when you have a new scheme, new uh, offensive scheme, new defensive scheme, the defense will catch on much quicker because you only have to react rather than act it out. So I feel like the defense is already in their stride. They just need improvements in the secondary and on the second level. The offense is still getting there. I say give it about five or six weeks if we don't see improvements against when the schedule gets a little bit more difficult. I think that's when you start to get a little concerned and skeptical. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. But um, me. yeah, no, there's a there's a lot though to that I do like. And again, I would say this: if you know, after the game, I was getting a lot of reaction from people that you know the Giants were lucky to win this one. They're lucky to be 2-0. Oh. 
Uh, you see some posts on social media that, you know, they're the worst 2-0 team. And I just think that's that's ridiculous. You know what? 2-0 is 2-0. In the NFL, it doesn't matter if, you know, you win 9-6 to or you win 19-16 to or you win 35 nothing. At the end of the day, a win is a win. And I'll take I'll take 10 wins like this, Tom, you know what, and get into the playoffs. Because you know what? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's you get in, you would exceed expectations. Now, let me just pump the brakes a little bit here because – that's that's right. Hank nails it right there. At the end of the day, 2-0 is 2-0. A win is a win. Better coaching makes a world of difference. And that's something I was going to bring up. You have definitely seen in the first two weeks the difference that the coaching has made already with Brian Dable and Wink yeah. Martindale there on defense. And, you know, you saw it again when Daniel Jones had made a mistake. You saw Dable go on the sidelines. And I'm not saying that that Dable is uh, Tom Coughlin, but he definitely has the Tom Coughlin um, personality in certain ways. And that is one of the many things that's been lacking from this team for the last several years, whether it's, it's, you know, Joe judge or Pat Shermer or Ben McAdoo or whoever uh, you have not seen that kind of emotion and that kind of care uh, that you've seen with Dable. And, you know, yeah, I think defensively, you know what I Baker Mayfield looked awful. I think you do have to give the defense a lot of credit and you also have to give the defense for the fact that really, I know Christian McCaffrey, you look at his line. Again, if you look at just the numbers, it doesn't tell the story, folks. I mean, he had one big run, just like Derrick Henry. You know, right. Derrick Henry had a, strong, a good first half, and a, and he did not do much in the second half. Christian McCaffrey, I know he ran for 100 yards, but it was really – most of it that was on one play, like 40, 40, 42 yards, something like that, on one play. So give the defense credit for really, you know, not making McCaffrey go off for a huge game, uh, but – yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot to sit here uh, today now as we start to turn the page and get ready for week three that you've got to like, Tom. Yeah, definitely like a lot of what we saw from this team. And Hank, with a couple more comments, they're also handling the KG saga a little better than previous regimes likely would have. And think of it like this, too. In some ways, the Giants also made their own luck. Exactly. Uh, they mm-hmm. gave themselves these opportunities. Um Dable said he doesn't care how much you're getting paid. Um, and it actually works to his advantage that he's a first-year head coach, that he doesn't have an allegiance to these guys. It's not like he brought them in. So he has no allegiance to them. He'll take a guy who's making 600000 a year and start them over Kenny Galladay. He doesn't care. He really doesn't care. But if we thought the Giants had a good week, how about the Jets shocking the Cleveland Browns in what my opinion, Johnny, is one of the worst collapses in NFL history. You're up by 13 with a minute 55 left and you lose the game. You lose the game. Yeah. You know, in college football, it's possible, it's doable, and it's understandable. In the NFL, there really isn't an excuse to this. But, you know, you want to talk about the Browns collapsing, but I do give the Jets a lot of credit here too because, you know, they overcame a, a lot to be where they are right uh, to be where they were and win this game. Uh, You know, Joe Flacco was not going to throw the ball 59 times. So I don't think you had to worry about that, but you you look at this Jets team and I think there's a couple of things you've got to like out of this one too. Not only the the never say die attitude in this game, but you know, their first round pick Garrett Wilson's had a touchdown and looked really good. Uh, There's they, you know, they have some good young players already that you're going to see that are going to contribute for them for the season. So yeah, just some unbelievable staggering uh, historical numbers behind this, this win time. In fact, in previous games, NFL, that NFL teams were up by 
uh, they're trailing by 13 points in the last two minutes of the game, including the playoffs. They had lost that team had lost 2,331 consecutive games. Wow. The Jets had lost 39 straight games when trailing by at least 13 points at any point. They snapped a 13-game losing streak in the month of September, and Joe Flacco picked up his first win as a starter since 2019. So the notion that, you know, the same old Jets, I think, can go away for this for this week. And, you know, as bad of a loss as this was for the Browns, you know what, I think, though, you did see some good things there. You know, their running back tandem duo that they have there with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, I think, did fantastic. I think Jacoby mm-hmm. Brissett actually did enough to help them win the game. And when you go look ahead to their matchup on Thursday against the Steelers, I think that's going to be the key for them uh, in, against the Steelers. So, yeah, I, but from the Jets side of things, though, I mean, they needed a win like this in the worst way. I don't. There were teams going into week two that you always talk about as being desperate that needed a win. I think the Jets were one of them, especially coming off of Robert Sala's comments from a few days prior. They needed they needed this win. And it, Hank says, how on earth is Corey Davis left wide open on that 66-yard touchdown? Well, yep, that's exactly right. That, that's, that's part of yeah. it. You know what? I really don't know what to say because um, Cleveland just blew the game, Johnny. You look at Nick Chubb, three touchdowns. Um, he gave up four touchdown passes over 300 yards to Joe Flacco. To yeah. Joe Flacco. Um you know, all due respect, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, but come on. It just it doesn't make sense, and I think a lot of people were hating on Flacco a lot last week, and now you have to put some respect on his name. I get it. There is luck involved, but he did a good job anchoring them back. <laughs> What's up, Noah Dog Dibler? Noah, Noah Dibler, host of the uh, Puckin' Around podcast, Tuesday nights at 7 here on Review and Preview Network, and Johnny, he says tanking for Will Anderson Jr. is eleven point three four percent complete. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a name that's a name to watch there for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Good linebacker out of Alabama. Yeah. On the Jets, though, he says Salah looks like the right man, like Dan Campbell in Detroit. Rosters aren't great, but incredible effort and punching above their weight. Yeah, that that you know what that's very that's very fair. This is a big year for Salah coming off of last year, and I had said I like I actually like the makeup of the Jets roster because you know what they didn't go for the home run receiver. You know they were in talks to get Tyreek Hill, which I don't know if they would really fit their system, but I like the fact that you know what they had a very very good draft, and we're going to see hopefully that it could put together for them. And when Zach Wilson comes back, and it looks like he's about two weeks away from returning, uh, that's really where you're gonna you're gonna start seeing the. Uh, the signs for this team, um, you know, for all the Jet fans out there that wanted this team to like tank and be really, really bad, I, I think they're actually too talented of a team. I, I even had said Tom as kind of a bold prediction here: if Zach Wilson was out there and this team was fully healthy, I think they're actually better than the New England Patriots. I really do. But um, yeah, I, I think Salah is the right guy. I think you know his his attitude works. It's kind of like Dan Campbell, you know, and you're starting right. to see that Lions team actually looked pretty good the first two weeks as well. I think what Salah has to worry about is how he ends the season because everybody, you know, was high on Joe Judge last year around this time, and there's a similar feel with Salah right now. I think the difference is the Jets have Joe Douglas running the show. The Giants had Dave Gettleman running the show. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, and one thing also you'd watch with the Jets this season too, their schedule is actually very, very challenging. They, you know, they've got some mm-hmm. tough games coming up in these next several weeks. You know, this Bengals game that they've got coming up on Sunday, you know, the Bengals are desperate, and I know we're going to get to them, but the, the Bengals are our desperate team going into MetLife Stadium. And we saw what happened last year when they had uh, when the Jets were had my, uh, Mike White under center. So oh, yeah. it's certainly we'll have to see. Remember that game for sure. And sticking within the AFC East, we're going to move on to the Miami Dolphins rallying back against the Baltimore Ravens, 42-38 final. And safe to say, I think the whole world were shocked, especially after Miami went down 35-7 to and Lamar was delivering an MVP caliber performance. Um, had three touchdowns through the air, rushed for 119 yards and a score. He hit Rashad Bateman on a nice 75-yard strike for a touchdown. Nine catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown to Mark Andrews. But Tua Tagovailoa says not yet. He comes back, throws for nearly 500 yards, six touchdown passes, two to Waddle, two to Hill. And, Johnny, what's so funny is Waddle and Hill nearly duplicated each other's numbers. This receiving tandem is going to be scary. Um, 11 catches for – combined over 360 yards and each player had two touchdown receptions. So if you do the math in the fourth quarter alone, Miami outscored Baltimore 28 to three. And now Tua Tagovailoa all of a sudden leads the NFL in passing throughout two weeks. And that does not sound right, but (laughs) here we are. Well, I'll give you another uh, fun fact here uh, to borrow Hanks. uh, Hopefully he won't mind me borrowing that today. But Tua, the most touchdown passes in the fourth quarter of a game in NFL history. So Tua Tagovailoa threw for four in the fourth quarter, and this is the list that he joins: Sage Rose, Rosenfels with the with the Texans back in 2007, Vinny Testaverde with the Jets in 2000, Joe Montana in 1989, and Ken Stabler in 1980. And that's why I got to tell you, I look at this Dolphins team and. They were actually a team that I really liked going into the season. I think they're actually going to get in as a wild card because I think they are that talented. I love the Mike McDaniel head coaching hire. I think he is perfect for that team. And bringing in Tyreek Hill was such a great move because what that does is if you're going to double-team Hill, that's going to allow uh, Jalen Waddle to be open, and you can have the old Alabama connection to a, to Waddle, and I think that's fantastic. Now, the crazy thing is, Hank, I mean, I'm Tom – you watch this game, and you really look at – I mean, I know Tua was 25 of 30, but if you even look at some of those throws, he actually unthrew a couple of those throws in the fourth quarter, and one of them was, I believe, the one one of the touchdowns to Hill, yep. where actually Hill is running his route, and he actually has to stop and wait for the ball to get to him, and he's still so wide open. It's unbelievable. So it is. it was so crazy – the Dolphins, I mean, the, the Ravens were so in control of this game and then everything fell apart. You know, defense, offense, uh, you know, they were they were undisciplined as well. It took a, some penalties that also cost them some touchdowns, too. So all that factored in. But the Dolphins are, you know, they're they're good. They're a good team. I think a great test for them coming up here in the divisional matchup against the Bills. But I love this the way this team is set up and configured. And I think Mike McDaniel is the perfect kind of coach for them. He could definitely coach this team for you know, several years. And the one other thing I'll say too with Tua is he doesn't need to be throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game because he's got multiple running backs too. Raheem Mostert, you know, formerly of the 49ers, they've got multiple running backs too. So in a game, even when they were trailing so much, Tua still only ended up throwing the ball 30 times. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good point. And when you beat the Ravens, you're going to get respect. They, mm-hmm. The NFL moved the Dolphins up five spots to number eight in the power rankings. I mean, I think that's just insane that they're that high two weeks in. But when you beat a team like the Ravens of their caliber and put an offensive effort like they did, that's what you're going to get. Remember, Mike McDaniel was the OC in the NFC championship game last year. So this is a new and improved Miami Dolphins team. And a couple more comments on that game coming in here from Noah. Not a big fan of Tua, as we know Noah. Uh, (laughs) Never have been, but credit to him. He was phenomenal last Sunday. Will take a lot more to change people's minds on him permanently, but can't deny he was remarkable against the Ravens. Waddle was on my bench. Worst moment since Tom's week one parlay. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. Thank you, Denver Broncos. And thank you for the comment, Christopher. Appreciate it. Uh, Dolphins-Bills is the matchup of the weekend, but I think the Bills are on a whole other level to the rest of the NFL currently that they are. We saw that on display Monday night, Johnny. They're absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, both on both sides of the ball, too. That's, that's, that's really the thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it is scary how good they are. For sure. Garth says, what is up, guys? How are you tonight? Doing hey, great, Garth. Garth. We're 2-0. Absolutely, yes. We are we are very, very happy. We we're always happy, but up to another notch tonight for sure. Absolutely. Um <laughs> Christopher can still bonk you in the head come October. Um <laughs> well the Nationals did win today, I will say that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was uh a lot of craziness there. Uh Noah brings up an interesting point with Tua though, because you know, this team really looks like they have the pieces in place, and you yep. wonder if two is not going to be the answer. I mean, I, I think that the offense could be a landing spot for Lamar Jackson if he ends up leaving leaving Baltimore at the end of the season. I mean, if they yeah. don't think two is going to be the answer, I mean, he, you know, two has shown some flashes, but again, you know, even some of those throws that he made on Sunday just were. I mean, even though they were, you know, he was twenty five to thirty, just some of them were still kind of left you scratching your head a little bit. But, again, I think that way the team is configured, he doesn't need to be throwing the ball 40 to 50 times like we've seen. I know it's become kind of a passing league, but two is set up with a kind of team that he doesn't need to be doing that with. So he can he can thrive in that. And let's not forget about tight end Mike Trasicki as well, one of the better tight ends in the NFL. Yes. Had a touchdown in that yep. game too. And you have Waddle, Hill, and Trasicki as your three top targets they're going to carry you. You don't have to throw the ball 50 yards down the field. You can throw the ball five to 10 yards down the field and let them do the rest. Um, I think that's what's going to benefit Tua. But next up, I want to talk about a game that really surprised me. The Las Vegas Raiders lose at home in overtime to the Arizona Cardinals after leading 23-7, to gave up 22 unanswered points. Hunter Renfro with a real costly fumble. I was so disappointed. Excuse me. Um, and the Cardinals win their first game of the season. Johnny, how how surprised were you by this game, if at all? Actually, I was very surprised, Tom. I thought this was a great spot for the Raiders to bounce back. And really for the Cardinals to win right now, Kyler Murray's got to pretty much do it all. And you know what? He pretty much did it all on, on Sunday. That was for sure. I know the game-winning touchdown was off of a fumble recovery, but uh, – you look at that two-point conversion that got the Cardinals back in it. Look how much time. Look how uh, Kyler Murray was running around like crazy to uh, get that score. Uh, he pretty much did it all with a, you know a team that is 
you could tell though, was really missing a guy like DeAndre Hopkins for sure. But yeah, this was a unbelievable comeback. It was 20 to nothing. It was 23 to seven and they still found a way to come back, get to overtime. And now the Raiders are going to really be the, I mean, next, their next game on Sunday is a must win. And I think they can do it, but it's, it, they, that's where it comes to right now. I mean, you're, you run into a situation here in that AFC West, you can't afford to have losses like this and think you're going to be getting into the playoffs with how loaded that West is. I agree. The AFC West is loaded. And, you know, you may have to talk about the AFC East now, too, with Buffalo and Miami. Uh, going back to Fonz's comment here. What's up, Fonz? Fonz the Falco. Fonz. Host of Four Corners here on Review and Preview. Losing to a duck and the cheetah. Damn, they are a nasty 2-0. Yeah, that's it's absolutely true. Yeah, no, I know it's got to sting for Fonz and still, it's still a couple of days later it's got to sting. I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I actually was at a bar watching it. There, there was a whole table of Ravens fans to my right. And, uh, yeah, we were following that game very, very closely. It was actually incredible to see how it happened and really how how quick it happened, too, because I think it was, 20, it was 35-14 with, like, 12 minutes left in regulation. Mm-hmm. And they still were not able to uh, – but it was just – it was one of those weeks. I'll tell you what. It was all like that. Shout out to the Atlanta Raiders for choking. I see what he did there. Oh, I see what he did there. Blowing my quick picks for the week. Uh, Raiders defense the past two weeks has about as much pressure as a flat tire. Yeah, and that's actually been quite what's been pretty remarkable for them because, you know, they've got Max Crosby. Uh, they've got some guys there on defense. I think they're going to get a favorable matchup coming up, though, this Sunday. And I know they got to travel cross country. I think, though, that cross country stuff we can put away. We're starting to see a lot more of that. The West Coast teams coming to the East and winning anyway. I mean, if you're the better team, you are the better team. And I really think going into this week, winning the yeah. game, they got to have. I mean, they, I know we're going to get to it, but they, they've got to have this game on Sunday if they're going to be in discussion for the playoffs. Absolutely. Garth chimes in here to heck with the Raiders. Hopefully they lose each and every week coming from a Chargers fan. You <laughs> yeah. love to hear that. Um, Noah says they're doing their best to predict Florida's second half of the season. Uh, throwing shade at Garth, the Florida Gators fan. You got to do oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> we don't really talk too much college football on this show. We have our college football show on Friday nights now. But mm-hmm. I've got to say, yeah, those, those Florida Gators, they're hot and cold. You don't know what's coming one week or another. One week they're real good, and then they lay an egg against Kentucky. You know? uh, that, it's, that's incredible. I mean, look at the game they had against Utah to start. For, absolutely. And they got a big one coming up this weekend for sure. Johnny, I don't want to talk about this game, but – we're going to talk about this game. The Cowboys edge the Bengals 20-17, to 17, get their first win of the season, sacking Joe Burrow six times. Cooper Rush 1-0, former Giant, by the way, yep. as the Cowboys starter. Cooper Rush threw for 235 yards and one touchdown. They lost Dalton Schultz due to an injury, but the defense was very impressive. They held Jamar Chase just the 54 receiving yards. Micah Parsons logs another pair of sacks and were all ready. The guy has played not even a season and a half. He's played a season in two games. He's already getting the Lawrence Taylor comparisons and treatment. And I think we have to pump the brakes a little bit on this, Johnny. Um, I, I see why people think this way because of how explosive and how talented of a player he is. But what is your take on this Um certain comparison of Micah Parsons to Lawrence Taylor. 
it's it's too early. I get the numbers. I mean, he's got four sacks already in two games. He's got 17 and 18 career games. So I get that. But, I mean, it's – I I think we have to hold off just a little bit on that. But, I mean, it is truly remarkable. I mean, you look at it, he probably – he's right up there as possibly the most dominant defensive player in the NFL. That, that I will say. I think last week – or. I don't know if it was on this show, but we were talking about offensive defensive player of the year. It might have been the week before, and I predicted Parsons probably is my pick for defensive player of the year at this time, and he's not disappointing. Um, But who is disappointing is the Cincinnati Bengals. They invested so much money in their O-line. Joe Burrow has not looked great, and it seems like the Bengals are having a little bit of a Super Bowl loss hangover. It seems like that's carried – into a little bit of this season and to sit here and say they're oh and two it's definitely cause for concern because it's not often an oh and two team comes back and has a good season in fact it's very rare so how are you feeling about the Bengals, johnny after this loss tom the offensive line of the cincinnati Bengals is the most disappointing um thing of any team this entire season so far because they, like you said, they shored up that, we, or at least we thought they shored up that offensive line in the offseason. The, they're the most disappointing part of this entire season so far. If you look at what the Bengals' expectations were, you know, a lot of people had them and the, Bengals, and the Ravens being neck and neck for the, um, for the division. Uh, yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, look, 13 sacks in two games. Remember, Burrow didn't play in the preseason because he was recovering from the appendectomy. And I thought that, that week one game that they had, that was against the Steelers. I thought that that was actually a big reason for his struggles was just the rust, but that O-line was awful. Now, to be fair, I mean, they were down 17-3, to and they did come back and tie up the game. I mean, it took a long field goal right as time expired for the, the Cowboys to win. But, yeah, the another team that's going to be in, must, in a must-win situation going into week three, that's for sure. Yeah, I definitely think so. And Noah says they might not even be the worst comparison. How about Cooper Rush as the next Tom Brady? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's again. Let's park the brakes on that. I mean, we know how. Um, don't count. Don't count out Khalil Mack for Defensive Player of the Year. No, I, I, that's that's another guy too, and out out there for sure. Yeah, Johnny, uh, you had a point to finish there. You were going to say something about uh, don't count somebody out. Well, no, I was going to – they were – I would say just let's not, you know, jump to conclusions with the Cowboys. They really like to yeah. do that. I know they're talking about Dak being only a four-week injury there. Um, I mean, the only thing I will say, though, also about this game is now I feel a little bit less comfortable about our Monday night matchup with them. I mean, I know it's a divisional game. Uh, it's – fortunately, the Giants are home, which I think is a huge advantage. Yeah. But uh, – you know, the way they played and the way that defense is, that's uh, going to be the first real good test for this offensive line starting next week. Another comment from a good friend of mine from Tampa, Florida, Brian McArdle, host of From the Stands College Football Show. Go check out From the Stand Sports if you haven't already, folks. Bengals on pace to get Burrow sacked 111 times this season. Absolutely brutal stuff. And, you know, Johnny highlighted this just a few minutes ago, but to just name the list of players they brought in, they brought in um, Ted Karras, the center, from New England, Miami, uh, Alex Kappa from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they signed Lael Collins, who is a former Cowboy. So 
that's not good. And then Cordell Volson wound up winning the left guard spot for now. And then you have Jonah Williams, who is probably the only bright spot of their offensive line at the moment, anchoring down the left tackle position. Um, but moving on to the next game, the Washington Commanders fall to the Detroit Lions, 36-27, to 27, Johnny. And the Lions led 22-0 at halftime, second overall pick in this year's draft. Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks in the first half. Jared Goff had four touchdown passes. Amon Ross St. Brown had 116 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Are the Lions good again? I think they're improved. I will. I don't know if they're ready to say that they're good, but they're definitely improved. I think they actually have the potential to win five to six games this year. You know, they're still going to have some growing pains. Look, they fell behind. I mean, they had a rally against the Eagles in the opening week, but they definitely showed some fight in that one. Uh, they, you know, I think this final score is not even indicative of how really how much better they actually were on Sunday. Yeah. But yeah, no, the Lions they are a. An, a, an improved team for sure. I, I I had them winning five to six games when I did my predictions, my season predictions. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, second year now with Dan Campbell, uh, Jared Goff's played all right. You know, I like, I like St. Brown. I think he's actually very, very underrated. I like him a lot. And Aiden Hutchinson so far has showed you that he's, uh, he, he's the real deal on defense. Definitely. And another comment for Noah, this is historic. First time the Lions have scored 35-plus points in three straight games since 1952. They won championships in 52 and 53. Well, maybe the rebuild's finally happening. We do, we do one of our nicknames is they are the rebuilding since 1957 Detroit Lions. Now, let's not forget they don't have Jamison Williams yet either, who's recovering from an injury that he that's suffered right, the, at the Alabama. wide receiver. That's, that's, that's right. He's recovering from that injury he suffered in the uh, playoff game. Yep. And then to look at Washington, too, I mean, Washington, again, a lot of these stats are inflated because of the second half. But, you know, Wentz has looked good the first two weeks for the most part. And I love their rookie, Jahan Dotson. Three touchdowns within the first two weeks. He's been a gem. Look out for him. And their receiving core is loaded, too. They have Scary Terry, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dotson. The problem is their O-line is not too great. So we'll see what happens there. The Lions jump 10 spots in the power rankings to number 16. They are currently in the top half of the league as far as power rankings go. So that is pretty sick if you're a Detroit Lions fan. Yeah. Next up, the 49ers topple the Seattle Seahawks 27-7. to But, Johnny, I think the real storyline of this game is this. Um, how unfortunate uh, – Trey Lance out for the season, I think, broke his ankle yeah. in this game. And Jimmy G came in, and Jimmy G was Jimmy G. But um, how does losing Trey Lance affect this 49ers team moving forward? Uh, probably, I mean, what it does is I think it makes John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, it, ch- it changes them from being idiots to geniuses for holding on to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it does that. But yeah, no, you hate to hear this. Uh, you hate to see it and hear this news about Lance because this is the kind of injury that you don't know can actually linger on with a player for quite some time. So it does stink, especially when you trade so much capital to go up and draft him at three. But uh, yeah, we just hope it, 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 that he's going to be able to make a full recovery and be back to the player that they hope that he can be. But you know, you do have that safety net in Jimmy Garoppolo, and I've said I think that. In this NFL, without with the long season, with the fact that you don't play many preseason games, the way that practices are, and the fact that quarterbacks 
starting and backups get hurt. You know, you need a veteran capable backup quarterback almost as much as a, as a starter. Uh, so in, in some ways I think it might actually, you know, you hate to say that it's going to make the 49ers better or help them, but the fact that they held on to Garoppolo, I think this would be a different story here if this happened to Lance and they did not have a veteran, a capable backup there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still think Jimmy G is uh, capable of being a starter in this league. It's just the problem is there's only 32 spots every year to start in the National mm-hmm. Football League, and that's what makes it so great and competitive. Jimmy G redemption arc. Yeah, I mean, look, he's def- he definitely has something to prove. Yeah. You know, the 49ers were a tough team to predict this year because we really didn't know what, what Lance was going to be. It was really short sample size last year. Yeah. Uh, there had been a lot of question marks with him. And, you know, the 49ers, let's, let's also be fair here, they were dealing with an injury too. We're still dealing with uh, Elijah Mitchell, George Kittle was out, and they still were able to, to pretty much rough, run rough shot over the, the Seahawks. And the Seahawks came back to reality in a, in a big, big way on Sunday. And it's great to see them have Nick Bosa back this year. Uh, two sacks. Uh, Geno Smith did not look great. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a lot of his passes were short. He threw the one interception, and the Seahawks um, fall to one and one. And now, Noah, we get to two teams that you want to hear about. The Bucks finally beat the Saints in New Orleans with Tom Brady under center. 20-10, to 10, final score. Uh, Saints led just three nothing at halftime. Brady's stats weren't eye popping, but remember, no Chris Godwin, no Julio Jones. Um, Mike Evans got into some trouble, had a brawl against Marshawn Lattimore on the field. In fact, the Bucks just signed Cole Beasley to their practice squad this morning. Yep. So Brady was throwing to guys again. He does this all the time. Brashad Perriman, like guys you haven't heard of in years. And they're just going off, Johnny. Um, again, yeah, you could argue that Jameis Winston gave the game away. And Noah's comment here is so funny. Have you guys discussed Jameis winning yet another game for the Bucks? It just doesn't go away. Well, it, it doesn't. Let's talk about Jameis for a second. Yeah. How about the news that breaks an hour before kickoff from uh, – from Fox, from Jay Glazer, about the fact that he was that he's dealing with four fractures in his back. Now, let me just say this. If that is the kind of injury that's going to affect him all season long and the kind of injury where if you take one hit in the wrong door, in the wrong way, it could paralyze you, I don't know if you're the Saints why you're going to rush him out there. You know, Taysom Hill is a capable quarterback now. He does not have the arm strength of – a Jameis, but I'll tell you, he is versatile. He can, he's mobile. He can, he can play with it. He can run on the ground, so he can make plays with his legs. Uh, if you're there, and I know you've got, you know, targets like Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry down there, but if you're a team that can possibly be competing for a wild card spot, and Winston is going to be that ineffective with the kind of injury that he's got, where he could possibly almost be career ending, why are you? Why are you rushing him out there? Why, if you're Jameis, if you're saying you're good enough to go, why are you trying to be a hero in this spot? Right. I, I don't really get it. I mean, that's a situation where if I'm the Saints and, you know, that back injury is really going to be affecting his play, I'm going to Taysom Hill. I, I really am because, you know, that that's a team that's still got some talent and can still contend here and compete for a wild card spot. And I don't want to be risking, you know, the rest of my career here, uh, risking possibly somebody's career and also 
somebody who is going to be totally ineffective if if that's indeed the case with uh, with Winston. And the the Bucks also had six sacks, so Winston is obviously taking these hits, which is mm-hmm. not good. Yeah, um, you know he got some help from Olave and Thomas, which was nice. But again, the offensive line couldn't match with Tampa's front in the trenches and. Noah says this is not the first time this incident has happened. Repeat incident between Evans right. and Lattimore. The brawls are getting ridiculous. Um, that Bucks defense is very, is very suffocating for two games for sure. Absolutely. Saints aren't. Michael says here, Saints aren't as good as people think. You know, they're they're such a, a wild card team in all of this because you know I they could be a nine win team and they could definitely be a six or seven win team. I think it really all starts with Winston, but I think. If he's going to be this ineffective and if that offensive line is going to be bad, I think you've got to make a change in that spot. Just imagine if the Giants swipe their spot away this year in the playoffs. Well, they're it only one of a few teams that are undefeated for two weeks. Uh, Mike, you're talking to two Notre Dame fans here, and uh, Look, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about this one. I love Ian Book. I don't know if he – I don't know if he's really a, a starting quarterback, though. That's in the NFL. That's yeah. – uh, it's a bit of a reach. Um, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him out there. I mean, I actually I was watching one of the preseason games that he was playing, and it was pretty cool. But, you know, it's one thing to do it in college. It's another thing to do it in the NFL. It sometimes is unfair because you do stuff in college and you're never going to see in the pros. He's on the Eagles now, so something would have to happen to Jalen Hurts and whoever his backup is. Uh, I think Minshew is still a backup. Yeah, or, yeah he's still a backup there, so – in order for uh, Book to get on the field. And Noah brings up a good point. Uh, remember what I said about Sean Payton, Tom, most under-talked about loss of the NFL offseason. That's another guy you saw on the Fox pregame show this week. He was there. And he was and he was very passionate about talking about this game, about the yeah. Saints-Bucks game for sure. Absolutely. I'll tell you, man, it's some crazy stuff out there. And we got the comments section blowing up. Absolutely, and the coaching and the coaching has been something we're going to be talking about with a lot of teams this year. Rumor has it he threw his back out while eating crab legs. <laughs> oh, jeez! Oh my gosh! Ian Book yeah. is the best, better than Mahomes and Allen. Mike, I agree with you a hundred percent. Obviously, I, yeah. <laughs> Next up, we're going to talk about the two Monday night games, Johnny. First off, and again, both were duds. But to be honest, I did not see. This coming, I knew the Bills would win by double digits, but I did not expect them to beat the Titans 41 to 7. And not only that, the way that the defense played, holding Derrick Henry to 25 rushing yards on 13 attempts, is unheard of. I mean, I thought the Giants did a good job on him last week, holding him to 82. The Bills held him to 25. This was one of the more ugly matchups of the week last week on paper. I, I mean, if you would if you would have told me that the Bills were going to be favored by twenty, I would have taken the money with twenty easily. I, that's how much of a mismatch this this matchup looked to be on paper, and it turned out to be like that. This Bills defense going up against that offensive line of the of the Titans. The Titans the, the Titans don't have much on offense outside of Derrick Henry. I mean, I know they've got that kid, the uh, Arkansas wide receiver. They've got. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, but they lost a lot though. I mean, the offensive line that did not shore up, you know, Ryan T- and what that's going to end up doing is if you don't have a lot with Derrick Henry and you're going to fall behind, what ends up happening? You end up rec- forcing Ryan Tannehill 
to, you know, you can pressure him more and he's got to be throwing the ball a lot more and force and, you know, doing it through the air. And with this bad offensive line and that Bills defense, I mean, it's just a recipe for a disaster. And that's exactly what happened. And Tannehill threw three interceptions in this game. Uh, the Titans had four total turnovers. And when we, let's talk about the Bills, though. Josh Allen looks like the MVP two weeks in. Uh, again, this is a way too early prediction. But if I was a betting man right now, my money would be on Josh Allen to win MVP this season. Uh, he has Stefan Diggs, who had three touchdown receptions, 12 catches, 148 yards, and three touchdown receptions. You would think, with Gabriel Davis being out, that Stefan Diggs would not go off like this. But he did. The Damn. defense was not able to hone in on him. Uh, James Cook got some nice rushing yards in the fourth quarter in garbage time. And I guess my question to you is this, Johnny. Um, are the Titans able to rebound at all this season? I think the one saving grace for them is how bad the AFC South is. Because you know Houston's not winning the division. Right. Uh, Indy has looked bad. Jacksonville is an interesting team that could go either way. In fact, um, I'll just say this and – you know, the people watching can make fun of me all they want for saying this. I have the Jaguars winning the AFC South. You, They could win it. Tom, 7 and 10 could definitely win that division. Yeah. The I, I think are. 8, 9, they easily the, win. They've it. been the best team. I mean, the, let's be fair. The Jacks should be 2 and 0. Oh. They they were the better team against the, the Commanders the opening week. Yeah. If it wasn't for a couple of turnovers and late and you know, uh, Wentz being able to make some throws in that fourth quarter in the opening game, they could the the, the Jacks could be two and zero. And here's the other thing too: so the Texans, the uh, the Titans have to face the Raiders on Sunday. Desperate, desperate team. the The Colts are home to the Chiefs on Sunday. Hard to see a win there, especially the way they've been playing so far. It's not a it's not a reach, and I'll even top that and say that it may only take seven, eight, or nine wins. We know how weak the AFC, the NFC East was before. I think this South has all the makings of that. I said that before the season. The AFC South is the worst division of football, and it's going to show that. I think the winner of this division is going to be hovering around 500. I agree 100%, and I think the quarterback play is what's really bad. I think the best quarterback in that division is actually Trevor Lawrence, which is sad to say. Um, well, he, Trevor, you have to remember too. You know, he's another year older. Yep. Uh, you know, they brought in Christian Kirk, Etienne. You know, you, Travis Etienne. I, I think people have to realize how big of a deal that was. They lost Etienne the first game of the preseason last year, and yeah. and also they've got a stable head coach in Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson. Yeah. You know, there's no drama with um, Urban Meyer. I mean, Doug Peterson. You know, has the experience. He's 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 a good head coach. I think he's just the kind of guy that. Trevor Lawrence needed down there, and so there's no drama. I, I mean, it's not it's not crazy. I, I think we'll find out more about this division next week because you know the as I said, the Titans take on the 0-2 Raiders at home, and the Colts face the Chiefs. And I'll say this: if the Colts end up losing to the Chiefs and ends up being ugly, you have to watch for Frank Reich possibly being on the hot seat. Absolutely, sure. and Noah with another comment here: that has to be one of the best trades in recent history for both sides. Buffalo getting digs and the Vikings getting JJ. Yeah, because the Vikings really didn't downgrade, if you think about it, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, they're both equally as good, you could argue. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Absolutely. I, I think you have to argue that Jefferson is probably already better than Diggs. Uh, you know, so, but we'll get into the Vikings next. Um, how disappointing. Uh, the Eagles defeat the Minnesota Vikings 24 to 7 at the link uh, last night, improving to 2 0 on the season. All points were scored in the first half of this game by both teams, not just yeah. one. So, no scoring in the second half. Um, Noah, I, I don't like this comment, but it, it's true. Tom was crying into his cornflakes by the fourth quarter of the Eagles Vikings games. Uh, <laughs> If you don't know, that is my closet football team. I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan, uh, big Justin Jefferson fan. I, I like them a lot, but I, again, and uh, I'm not trying to make an excuse for the guy. I don't think Kirk Cousins is a night person. I really do. I think he's that type of guy. He gets up at like four or five o'clock in the morning. He likes to get his day over with early because he's two and ten. <laughs> he's like me then. Okay. Yeah. Even though I'm here tonight, I'm but I but, can be. It, Three picks, Johnny, but Cousins isn't the only one to blame here. The entire offense was just non-existent. Dalvin Cook couldn't get it going, and to me it seemed like every time the Vikings were in shotgun formation and Cousins drops back to pass, there were like two or three Eagles defenders unmarked running right into his face. Um, it also didn't help that Irv Smith dropped the touchdown pass. Yep, It's a shame. Everyone played bad on that offense. Everyone. Yeah. And I think on the other side of things, Tom, I think you can, we can start having this conversation about Jalen Hurts possibly being an MVP candidate this season with the Philadelphia Eagles because he had, a, he, had a, he had another good game. You know, there's been a lot of uh, question marks with Hurts, but that team is set up with you know two, three wide receivers that they have, and Hurts the way he's looked these first two games. I mean, he's going to be if they continue this pace, he's going to be. Uh, discussed for MVP in the uh, NFC. I am still not the highest on him, but he did have a good game last night. Uh, Great game, I should say. Mm -hmm. Also had a rushing touchdown on top of his 333 passing yards and one score. I think what puts him in that discussion, Johnny, um, he's not in the discussion for me, but I'd say for some fans is the fact that he has A.J. Brown. The fact that he has Devontae Smith, he has a pair of legs yeah. and he has a good offensive line. And that all helps him out a lot. That elevates his play, helps him get to the next level. The Eagles have done a good job building around him that have allowed him to succeed. In fact, the NFL power rankings has them as the third best team in the NFL. I think that's a little bit too high for them. Do you think it is or do you think that's accurate? Third best in the in the NFL, I think, yeah. is a little is it a little too high? Because I mean, I could think of, I think of teams. I mean, let's let's think about. I mean, let me just rattle them off my head right now. Buffalo. Uh, I mean, I even let's start in the in the um, AFC. I think Buffalo. I think Kansas City still above them. I think the Chargers are. I mean, hopefully Justin Herbert's uh, injury is not severe, and it looks like it. It sounds like it's not, but I'd say the Chargers are. Um, in the NFC, I mean, I, I could say top five, Tom. I don't know if I'm ready to say top three just yet because I think there's three teams in the AFC right there that are already better. And I'm not sure yet about the Packers or even the Vikings. If the if this game was in Minnesota, I, I we may be looking even at another a different situation. I do think the Bucks and the Rams are better. That's just my opinion, but I do think they're both better than the Eagles as well at this time. 
Yeah, um, and you know, if the Eagles are playing with the Bucks though right now with all the injuries that Tampa, that Tampa's dealing with on, both, on the offense and the offensive line, I mean, the, the thing you'd have to watch is that defense against against Hurts. That would be the one thing, but yeah. that game's in Philadelphia. I'll tell you right now, I think the Eagles have a good chance. Yeah, I mean, that secondary's brutal. You got Darius Slay. You got James Bradbury. You got Chauncey no, Gardner-Johnson not- like a month ago. So that secondary's deep, Johnny. They looked real good. And my question to you, because you and I both seem to be high on the Vikings heading into last week. Yeah. Do you still feel that way? Do you think this was a slip-up? Do you think they're pretenders? They're still ranked as the 11th best team in the NFL two weeks in. Um, I still think they could contend for the NFC North title. I'd rather the Vikings play like this now, early in the season, and later in the season. You also have to remember, too, the average fan watching this game is like, oh, Kirk Cousins, here he goes again. You know, the, the, the Vikings can't stop the run. This is 2020 all over again. It's also a new coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, Kevin O'Connell is like Sean McVay level young. Like, that's how young he is. So I, I really can't say if the Vikings are pretenders or not, but I don't think so. I still think they're a playoff team even after this loss. I I would not yeah I, I I agree I think you were saying twelve and five last week I think eleven and six and look you know if you're gonna have an eleven and five or eleven and six twelve and five year you're gonna have a dud like this you know yeah. uh, see if they bounce back but Green Bay I know they bounced back against the the Bears but they've got an interesting matchup with the Bucks this week too they I'm do. not really sure about them because I'm just not sure about their depth that's that that's the thing that still concerns me with Green Bay this season and these two teams I think are going to be fighting all the way down to the last uh, week of the year. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. So Johnny, our next segment, our week two takeaways from the NFL. And I've got some fun questions for you. And the first one is yep. who's your most surprising team uh, through, through two weeks in, in a positive way, in a positive way, the most surprising team, I think not only because of the record, but the way things have looked, I'd say the giants, I, you know, it because if you told me two and zero, and the the way that they've been two and zero, I mean, I'd be feel like I'd be on cloud nine right now. So to me, uh, I would I would say the Giants just simply for the fact that with you know the, 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 the with the talent level that they have, that's the thing. I mean, they're not really doing this with Pro Bowl guys, but they're doing this with guys that are playing at a Pro Bowl level. So to me, in a positive way, the Giants. Let's keep in mind too. Two future top 15 pass rushers in this league have not played a snap for us yet this season. That's right. And Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalar. Once we get them back, look out. Because then O'Shea and Zimenez and Jihad Ward become backups, and they look good. Maybe like they, Monday. We'll see. Jihad Ward has slowly risen the depth chart for me as like one of my favorite players on this football team. He, he's been a real nice addition from, again, of course he looks good because he's played in this scheme before. He knows it better than anyone else on that defense. But I'm also going to agree, by the way, I just booked my tickets for Giants-Bears week four. This will be my oh, that's so fifth cool. Giant game ever attending. I'm 3-1 and one all time. It was 3-0 and oh up until last year when I went to opening weekend against the, the Broncos, which oh. was terrible when Bridgewater tore us up. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, so – we're going to see the Bears. I'm really excited about that game. I hope we're 3-0 and heading into it. The environment should be hot. Um, 
You know, people laugh saying, you know, you can't see the Giants above 500 anymore unless you go week one. Not now. The Giants are my most surprising team. Uh, I thought they would be one and one right now, not two and oh. Agree. Most disappointing team. The Cincinnati Bengals. And more specifically, not only the the team, but the most disappointing part is the offensive line. Uh, 13 you know, 13 sacks to Burrow. He's been running around for his life in this early going. Um, so I would have to say it's that it could be that Super Bowl loss hangover, but I also think it's a lot of rust there too. But, you know, you don't have a lot of room for leeway in, this, in the NFL, unless, of course, you're in the AFC South. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I think in the nature that – the Raiders have lost. I think I'm a little surprised by that too. I think they'd at least have one win by now. Um, yeah. And then I'm, I, I mean, yeah, for, for the sake of being different, I might go the Raiders just because they were also a playoff team last year. Yeah. See, the only reason why I would not say the Raiders is because I just don't think it's realistic. I, I know they're, they're really good, but it's just, it's very difficult for all four teams in a division to be, in the you know, and to be that good. And I think somebody's going to have to take a downfall here, whether that's the Raiders or the Broncos. Look, the Broncos coaching staff is is something that's going to be something to watch this year. I mean, they almost blew it again against the Titans last week. So, I mean, the Texans. So uh, I, that's why I would differ a little bit from the Raiders, and simply for the fact that I just don't know if you can really believe that all four teams in the AFC. I mean, it kind of reminds me a lot when we were talking about baseball in the American league East, I mean, we were talking about yep. four teams to possibly be really good, but I don't know if it's that realistic. So uh, I, that's why I'm going to differ and take the Bengals. All right. Next question is which Owen two team has the best shot at making the playoffs and think carefully because it's not often an Owen two team makes the playoffs. Um, granted win in the playoffs, yeah. but if you had to pick one, would you stick with the Bengals here and have the same answer, or would you go a little bit different direction? Well, I, I'm looking. I'm going. To, I'm going to the Titans because the division's not strong. That's that's why I think they probably have the best shot. Because if, if that division's not going to be so strong, you could be staring six and eleven, seven, ten, or eight and nine, and possibly get in. So I do think that just based off the division. It's them now. I don't think they're a good team. That's the that's the that's the reason why it might be a problem. I don't like their offensive line. They lost a ton on offense. You know, Derrick Henry's only going to be able to do you so much. He's another year older too. Yeah. And Ryan Tannehill, if he doesn't have that protection, is going to be coughing the ball up a lot. And we've seen that in the playoffs last year and early on in this season. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals here. I do like your pick with the Titans, though. A lot of logic there behind it. I, I like the the Bengals here because I don't see the Browns making it, and I don't see the Steelers making it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's between them and Baltimore, plus that division, like the Titans and the AFC South, no team is better than one and one. So realistically, the Bengals are just one game back of the division lead. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think Joe Burrow's going to improve. Again, Zach Taylor's still a very young coach. Um, a lot of people are saying last year's Super Bowl, Super Bowl run was a fluke. Um, remember, it's a new offensive line. They lost their tight end, C.J. Uzama. Um, T. Higgins played. Uh, he just cleared a concussion protocol. He missed practice all week, so that definitely hurt them there. Um, I'd say give it some time. 
once the line gets in sync, expect Joe Mixon to perform better and expect Joe Burrow to perform better. And, you know, they did come back from 17-3 down in the second half in that game against the Cowboys, too. Yeah. So this next question we already kind of answered earlier on in the show, Johnny, but I guess I can switch the wording of this question. Sure. Instead of could the Jacksonville Jaguars win the AFC South, do they? Well, they've got probably – well, I mean, let's let's look at the logic here for a second. Division's not strong. Do you trust Doug Peterson more than any other coach in that division? I do. I mean, Mike Vrabel, I think, is still a very good coach. But, I mean, I trust – would I trust Peterson more than I would Frank Reich? Yes. Um, they're still a young – up. they're still, you know, a young team that's going to be making mistakes. I mean, their defense has had some – problems here in this early going too. I mean, not against the Colts, but again, but you did see them have some issues against the uh, commanders. Um, I'm still, boy, this, I'd be more comfortable answering this question next week. If I find out that the, uh, that the Colts lay a dud to the, to the, to the chiefs. And if I see the Jaguars come out with a win here uh, on Sunday, but uh, right now I'm going to say no, but I'm going to say no with an asterisk. So I do believe that the Jaguars will win the AFC South Um, because my pick was the Titans and they just have not looked good at all. They've lost a lot of steam. Their O line is not as good. I think the Titans have a better shot than the Colts to win the division, but I think the Jaguars are the new up and coming team. Uh, They've drafted well the last couple of years. Yes, they overspend for Christian Kirk. Um, I I don't necessarily love that move, but the coaching. You mentioned the coaching. I think the quarterback play, right? They've had the number one overall pick in the draft the last two years. Something's got to give eventually. When you play in a crappy division like that, you have Trevor Lawrence on one side of the ball, Trayvon Walker on another, opposite of Josh Allen, by the way, who the Giants should have drafted three years ago. Giants could have had both Josh Allens, yeah. Something's got to give, right? Something's got to give, and I think the Jaguars will win the AFC South. You heard it here first. Mark it down, folks. It's not, it's not crazy. It really Tommy Mac, crazy. it's got to go in the book, man. Put it in the book. That's right. Put it in the recording, yes. That, that notebook that we all love. Yes. Next up, time to preview some of the top week three games, Johnny, starting with tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football, probably the – Ugliest quarterback matchup we've seen throughout the first three Thursday night footballs. Mitch Trubisky against Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland. Browns favored by four and a half, coming off a loss to the Jets. Both teams coming off a loss to an AFC East opponent. Who do you have in this one? Best thing for the Browns is the very quick turnaround for them. I tell you, it's funny. Which, which, you know, which quarterback do I trust going into this one? You know, give me Jacoby Brissett over, uh, over Mitch Trubisky, you know, the reason why I like the Browns in this one, Tom, is because I think they're running back duo with Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb. I think this is the kind of game they can go off of. You know, the, the Steelers defense um, does have some problems. You you know, I know uh, they have Fitzpatrick, but T.J. Watt was certainly missed last uh, last Sunday against the Pats. But I think these guys, I think the Browns can run all over the, the Saints defense, and I think that's going to be the key to success here. I don't think you need – the, uh, you don't need um, Brissett to be throwing the ball t- a ton 
to be successful in this one. And the only way the Steelers are going to have a chance in this one to me is if Trubisky plays a turnover free game. And that's something that you just don't see. I mean, he had a terrible boneheaded play against the Pats. Um, I just, it, I think this is going to be a rough one. And I think you're going to start having the rumblings of uh, Kenny Pickett down there in Pittsburgh. I'm taking, give me the Browns uh, to win and cover here and probably an ugly low scoring game, something along the lines of like 20 to 13. And here's the other thing too. Steelers have only scored two offensive touchdowns in the first two weeks of the season too. That's going to be hard to do also against this Browns defense. So give me the, give me Cleveland to win and cover uh, in an ugly 20 to 13 game on Thursday night. Yeah. That, that all is very, very logical. I mean, I want the Steelers to win. I want them to win, but I don't think they're going to. They're on the road. If it was at Heinz Field, whatever they call it now, maybe. <laughs> um, but, yeah. See, the, the thing is, too, Kevin Stefanski is a good head coach. He can, yeah. he can control the tempo. Brissett doesn't need to throw the ball 30 times. And you have good players on this offense still. Um, you know, Granted, you don't have Jarvis Landry anymore but you still have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you know, one and one A, I like to call them. So at the end of the day, the defense is probably of the Browns what concerns me the most, especially after what we saw against the Jets last week. I think the Steelers will keep it close, but I think the Browns um, edge this one out. And I do think you're right, Johnny. I think Kenny Pickett will be the Steelers starter by, I'm going to give Trubisky the benefit of the doubt and give them till week seven or week eight until they turn to pick it similar to what the giants did with Manning uh, mm-hmm. 18 years ago. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. know. Right. So, we're, we're getting old Tom. <laughs> um, all right. So we're one for one chiefs at the Colts. Now will Michael Pittman play? Will Shaq Leonard play formerly known as Darius Leonard? I have no idea. Um, and that's why I have to go with the chiefs here. They've looked great. Um, the Colts have looked ugly the first two games. This Chiefs defense looks improved. Uh, the offense looks better without Tyreek Hill, actually. Um, you know, Travis Kelsey being the catalyst is okay. I mentioned this on the show last week. It's okay if your tight end is your number one option on offense. Look at Lamar Jackson. He's in love with Mark Andrews. That's his favorite guy. Patrick Mahomes, same thing. He's going for Travis Kelsey. If he can't hit Kelsey, well, he'll hit somebody else. He has good, decent receivers to play with there. Um, yeah. So I think the chiefs are going to win, especially with all the uncertainty going on in the Colts, but I could see this as a trap game because the Colts have looked bad the first two weeks, but it's at home. And the last time the chiefs played in Indy, they lost. So this is a game. The Colts could surprise people. And this could be like that one game of the week. That everyone's like, well, what the hell happened? You know, I could view this as a trap game for Kansas City, but I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, that I again, you and I are sharing a brain on this one. I think this one could could get kind of interesting. The Michael Pittman injury was actually a big deal for Indy too, because you know they don't get him. Then Jonathan Taylor, who basically is your main guy, and he only carried the ball for 54 time, 54 yards last week. Uh, could this is pretty much? A, I think this is a must win for the Colts, and if they get blown out in this one again, Frank Reich's. Uh, going to be on the on the coaching block there but the biggest one of the bigger surprises actually really to me has been this Chiefs defense because I thought it was very very vulnerable I still think they have the best quarterback in the division but they have the worst defense in, the, in that AFC West 
but it's been on full display. I think you might have to sweat this one out, but I take the Chiefs to win by 10. Interesting. All right. You sound confident there, Johnny. Uh, well, it just also take this for the grain of uh, salt, folks. Last week against the spread, I went I went five and eleven. I'm thirteen and nineteen through two week uh, through two weeks. Yeah, but I had I had a couple of bad bad losses, but it was that, that kind of week last week. But let's yeah. uh, but you know the, the best thing is a, the quick turnaround, and that's what we're doing here. So give me the Chiefs to win and cover, say by ten on Sunday. All right, moving on to in what my opinion is the game of the week. The Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. The Bills are favored by six. And you know Hard Rock's going to be rocking uh, the Dolphins fan base. Again, look, at the end of the day, I, I don't think Miami is a match compared to Buffalo. But if the Bills are to lose one divisional game this year, this is the one. This is the one because they're in Miami. Um, I, I don't think New England could beat them. I know they beat them once last year. I don't think they'll be beating them, and I don't think the Jets will be beating them. But the Bills really have a chance to win 15 games this season, and I, I mean that. Like, I have them going 15-2. and two. I, it, It's hard for me to see them slip, slipping up in a game like this. So I'm going to take the Bills, but I don't know if I feel confident ab- about that spread because – you always want to avoid the divisional games. Divisional games, a lot of the times, they're always closer than they should be because of the familiarity, right? You play them twice a year, every year. So give me the bills here. Tom, doesn't this have the feel of a New England-Miami game, though? It does. That's that's the thing. And what the Dolphins have been able to do these first two weeks – I don't know if they could win this, but they could definitely keep this one kind of interesting. And if this was just one point higher, I'd be a lot more confident saying this. Bills may pull this one out. I think the Dolphins, they'll make it interesting. Give me the Dolphins plus six to make this at least interesting down there at Hard Rock Stadium. And but the good, Bills to win, right? They're so good. That's the thing. They, they really are so good. But I think this one – but you know what, though? They're not going to win 15 games by – Double digits. Right. Dolphins cover. Give me Bills win. Dolphins cover, though. Next up, NFC North matchup. Uh, we have the Lions roaring into skull territory in Minnesota. The Vikings are favored by six. Both teams are one and one. I guess my two questions are who are the real Vikings? And will the Dan Campbell effect play a factor in this game, Johnny? Uh, it's you know, that game I think. You could throw throw that game out last week for the Vikings. Um, I think this one they they bounce back in. This is I think a first test for the D- Detroit Lions here. You know, first game away from home. I mean, I know it's you know going to be in a dome, but uh, I think I think Kirk Cousins and the Vikings ba- bounce back here. I think they win this one in cover. Yeah, um, I like Minnesota. I like them a lot this year. It's not often you're going to hear me betting against them if. If you see me betting against them, it's because I really like that team's odds. Um, the or Vikings. The <laughs> I don't even know about that, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have the Vikings winning this football game. I think Jefferson and Thielen both bounce back this week, and Irv Smith has to play better. Uh, Johnny Month as well. Both tight ends dropped passes on Monday night. And Brian McArdle with an interesting comment. With the way the Lions have been playing, Lions plus six looks so juicy. And you know how that could be, 
Brian, that could be the backdoor cover kind of plus six, I think. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of did that with the in the Eagles in their opening game because I think they were the Eagles were laying four and a half and then ended up only being three. Uh, could see that. I could see definitely a backdoor cover situation, almost like what I was thinking about with the Texans against the uh, Broncos against the Broncos for sure. Absolutely, that's not a crazy thought. Never thought I'd say that in my life. Hey, it's 2022. You know, we're going to see a lot. We've already seen a lot of crazy things in the NFL first two weeks of the season. That's right. And moving on to the next game, speaking of crazy, we saw the Jets have a crazy finish to their game last week. As we discussed earlier, they're hosting the Bengals at home. Bengals are favored by five in this game. Could the Jets do it again, Johnny, or does Burrow turn the ship around? Uh, That's a high number for me to think the Bengals can be a five-point favor right now with the way things have been going. I like the, the Jets roster here. Uh, I don't know if they're going to win this game, but I'll definitely grab the five points with the Jets here. Um, Bengals may be able to pull this one out, but I think it's going to be a close one. So give me the Jets plus five. And wouldn't it be crazy to see if they possibly pull this one out? I had them winning the game outright against the Browns. Not the way they did, but I think they can definitely um, keep it keep it close here with Cincy. Since he needs a get-right game, and this is the game, I think the Bengals win outright, and I do think the Bengals cover as well. Um, so I'm going to go a little different from Johnny here on this one. We can't agree on everything, folks. Uh, Tamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, those are a lot of weapons for Joe Burrow to throw to. The Jets' secondary isn't great outside of Sauce Gardner, who's still a young, raw, developing prospect. So I think the Jets are in for a rocky week three, in my opinion, with Joe Flacco still at QB. I can't see the the Jets pulling this one out. So give me Cincinnati. Moving on, Raiders at the Titans. Raiders are favored by two. So we have the Raiders traveling to the Midwest to take on Tennessee, or like the Mid-South, I should say. Uh, Johnny, who comes away with their first win, keeping their season alive? Tom, this is this is a game I ha- I feel very comfortable in picking. I love the Raiders in this spot. I just I am not in love with the Titans on offense at all. I think this is the get right game for the defense for for the Vegas Raiders. You know, offensively they've had they've showed up some they've they've showed up they've had some points. I mean, they scored twenty three. I don't know if the Titans could put up twenty three points in a game this year the way that their offense is. So get, and that that line is low. I'm going to take the Raiders to win and cover and and get right game for them. And the Titans go to zero and three. Yeah, this game's interesting. I think the Raiders have the better roster. I really do. And the, the one concern for me, though, is can they stop the run against Derrick Henry, right? I mean, we saw the Giants skate by Tennessee, and we saw the Bills destroy Tennessee. So where will the Raiders fall in that department? Um, outside of Derrick Henry, the Titans don't really have many threats offensively. Um, you know, Traylon Burks is still developing. So yeah. – I, I can't view this as a game that Tennessee wins again. I think Tennessee's going to lose, and I think the Raiders are going to win. And, yeah, they'll they'll cover two points for sure. I think they win by at least a field goal, so that's an easy one for me. The thing that would scare people about this would be that whole West Coast to East Coast thing. But that's yeah. if you look at the last couple of years, though, Tom, and I, it really all started, you could even say maybe even the year before, but definitely during the COVID year, the, the teams that – if as the, the – the better talented team, I don't care if you come from the West Coast, I don't care if you come from Alaska, if you come from Hawaii, if you're the more talented team, you win the game. So that's what yeah. I'm going to go with. But I want the Titans to win this game because, and again, the the media world that we live in now always, you know, tries to make stories up about this. And I think uh, Mike Vrabel's 
in my opinion, he's a top 10 coach in the league. I mean, he does things that Bill Belichick did and still does. Um, In fact, he's outdid him at times. So I think Mike Vrabel deserves to be the coach there for a very long time. And I just fear that if they lose, people are going to start talking about it. But at the same time, you also have to look at who Tennessee lost. You can't really blame Coach Vrabel for all of these losses. You have to blame upper management for what they've done. I totally agree with you. This is this is so not out of Vrabel. I mean, that, that team just does not have enough to be really competing with, with any team. I mean, if this was any – if the Titans were any other division, they'd be the worst team in the division by a country mile. The, their, their benefit is the division. That's That's really what it is. Staying with the word division, we move to another division, NFC East matchup. The Philadelphia Eagles favored by six and a half, head to FedEx Field to play the Washington Commanders. Uh, Carson Wentz revenge game a little bit. Again, this could be another trap game. Nice win. You're 2-0. and You know, you head down 95. Washington's going to be ready. Short week for Philadelphia. Yeah. For sure. yeah. What do you think here? Uh, I – Boy, this this one to me is screaming upset. Short week. Um, you know, the commanders have, you know, I know they were behind big time against the uh, against the Lions, but they still came back and, and made a game of it. They were, they bounced, they rallied to beat the Jaguars. So they've been in both their games this year. You know what? Give me the commanders is an upset special in this one. Short week with Philadelphia here I, and divisional matchup. I, I think the commanders can pull this one out. Um, as much as I'd love that to happen, I don't think it will. Um, Philadelphia for me is just too good right now on both sides of the ball. Um, I don't know if I trust Carson Wentz against this secondary because of how good it is at the moment. Uh, but I will be rooting for Washington, and I hope that upset special does happen. Um, I think Washington can easily cover. In fact, I think they will. But I have the Eagles winning here. I think Hertz has another decent game. Miles Sanders hasn't been talked about enough either. He's been running behind an outstanding Philadelphia Eagles O-line. As we have a comment here from uh, uh, Albert Donor says, Chris Jericho is the new Ring of Honor world champion. Interesting. Uh, Long Island native. Yes. Chris Jericho. Love Jericho. Little fun fact there. Uh, shout out Albert Donor, one of the co hosts of our wrestling show, Four Corners. Awesome. Throwing in a wrestling comment. I mean, they opened their show with football on Monday night. So, because Fonz is a, <laughs> we'll do a little fan cross promotion there. Yeah, absolutely. It's only right we throw in a little wrestling chat in there for about 30 seconds or so. Definitely. Yep. I really want to agree with you, Johnny, but I. With what they did to the Vikings, man, I have to go with Philly. I, do. I get it. It's not crazy. All right, next up, Rams at Cardinals. Um, let me pin that game here. Three and a half in favor of the Rams. The problem, the problem for the Rams offensively for me is, you know, Allen Robinson and Van Jefferson haven't stepped up yet enough. I think it's Cooper Cup and only Cooper Cup right now. In fact, Stafford hasn't even looked great. Every time it seems like a quarterback gets paid this massive contract, they just don't perform. Uh, and, you know, Stafford's making a lot of money, Johnny. And, yep. you know, I, I'm starting to think, like, I'm going I'm going to pick the Rams to win here, but I think this is going to be a lot closer than it should be. I think their saving grace is the Cardinals' receiving core is absolutely depleted. So I'm going to go with the Rams here, but, I mean, I can't say that with full-fledged confidence. 
Yeah, I, I Tom, I totally agree. Once again, I, but you did see them get to Allen Robinson a little bit more last yeah. Sunday, and they did get to him early. And I think it's important for them to spread the ball around. And I think this is the kind of matchup they could do that against. You know, this Cardinals defense is not that good. And still, I mean, unless, you know, Kyler Murray is going to be the hero and he's going to have to continue to be the hero for the Cardinals to win this. Um, look, even though the Rams, they were up big and still could not cover their 10-point spread last week. But I'm going to go back to the well yet again. I'm going to take the Rams to win and cover this one, maybe by a touchdown. All right. I like it. I like it. Now. This game, this also could be the game of the week on the NFC side of the slate. Yeah, The Green Bay Packers travel to Raymond James Stadium to take on Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, last week was another prime example how this is Tom Brady's world and we're all just living in it. He goes in without Godwin, without Jones, without his starting left tackle, without his starting center, without his starting left guard. It doesn't matter. He comes back. Tears them up, wins by 10. Uh, granted, the defense helped out a lot, but, um, you know, Brady didn't have much to work with last week, and he was able to get it done. Before we pick this game, Johnny, I want to ask you this. Obviously, this is a rematch of the uh, NFC Championship game two years ago. Is this, the last, is this the last time we see Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers? Uh, you know, they could be on a collision course for the for the playoffs again because you know it's just the way that the head of the NFC is as a whole. But I mean, they, I, it looks like it. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, the way things are, it it certainly could be the possible. It certainly could happen because I mean, unless you tell me you're going to have an NFC South versus wild card situation in the playoffs, that could be that could be it. It's interesting for me because everyone keeps saying one more year, one more year. And, and everyone keeps saying that every year. <laughs> when is it going to end? Um, I don't think this is the last time they'll be playing. I think they will meet again in the playoffs. I think the Bucks are going to meet the Packers probably in the divisional round or something like that. Um, I could see the Packers getting a wild card and upsetting the four seed, maybe the winner of um, you know, the NFC East, something like that. Who knows? Um, I don't necessarily know what's going to happen here, but um, <clears throat> this is a tough one for me. I'm picking the Packers in an upset because the Bucks struggled against the Saints last week, but luckily they were going up against Jameis Winston. Mm-hmm. Now they're going up against Aaron Rodgers. And while, yes, they're at home, they won't have Mike Evans. They won't have Chris Godwin. Julio Jones is questionable. Who are they going to start? Rashad Perriman and Scotty Miller? Will they promote Cole Beasley? I don't know. I, the defense can only do so much in this one. And, you know, Brady's proved everyone wrong, including myself, time and time again. But I'm going to go with Green Bay this week. Even in the, the, the Packers' win on Sunday night football last week, there were some missed chances there for Aaron Rodgers. And – his his receiving core is depleted too with all the moves in the off season, and I almost I it's this is basically like a pick 'em game. This is probably going to be a field goal game on either side, but I'm taking Tom Brady and the Bucks to win this one. And it's just I I feel like Ro- I just think that 
Green Bay does not have enough. Now, of course, I know all the, the problems that the, pack, the uh, Bucks have, but I almost trust Tom Brady more. The game is at home. I mean, if this was a road game, I think there'd be no question I'd go with the Packers in this spot. But I think I'm going to I'm going to take the Bucks by a field goal uh, late. Like it. Um, I'll be rooting for the Bucks. Um, you know, I've liked Tom Brady a lot more ever since he's left New England. But uh, you know. I have them going a certain way, looking at games on the schedule. This is one I could see as a loss, so I'm just going to roll with it. Um, you know what I would love to see, though? This game go down to like the last two minutes of overtime. That would be awesome. And um, it could it could do that. because I, I could definitely see that being a possibility. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Jones was awesome on Sunday Night Football. He, great to see him get going. Uh, I know Leonard Fournette struggled a little bit last week behind a, a rough O-line. So we'll see. We'll yep. definitely see what happens. Another comment from Brian McArdle, who is a Bucks fan, by the way. Oh, let's see this. If Christian Watson and the rest of Green Bay's receivers keep dropping easy touchdowns like last week, our defense won't have to do much. Yep. He's right. He's, He's right. But I knew Johnny was going to pick the Bucks, so I had to pick the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Next, I up. did not pick the Bucks against the Saints last week. The you picked the Saints last week, right? Right. Okay. I think did I pick the Bucks? I think, I think so. you did pick the Bucks. Yeah. yeah. I think so. All right. Next up, we have two more games. 49ers at the Broncos, minus one and a half in Denver. Mild high. Battle of teams with a week one disappointing loss. Who do you have? Well, you know, we're talking about Trey Lance uh being out now and Garoppolo being there. See, the thing is, 49er injuries, you just wonder with Kittle, you wonder with uh, Mitchell, uh, how much, you know, that's going to impact them too. But, you know, the Broncos, even in their win against the, the Texans last week, were not that all that impressive at all. Uh, I, I have to go with the, the team that I trust the coach in more, and that's Kyle Shanahan over there with the 49ers. And I think Jimmy G's going to give them some life here. And that's a low number, so I'm going to take the 49ers minus one and a half. I agree. I also like the 49ers here. I think they're the better football team. Jimmy G can win these types of games for you. Um, And, yeah, I like the coaching a lot more than Denver's coaching. Nathaniel Hackett, yes, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's only been two weeks. I get it. But, I mean, you didn't look good last week against the Texans either. So, you think know. about it. If you go to one and two, and again, division with two strong, with strong teams, and the the yeah. Chiefs and the, uh, Chargers. and the Chargers playing. Yeah, yeah. I think this the division is being talked about just a little bit too much. I, I do think it's ultimately going to be a battle between the Chiefs and the Chargers when all is said and done. Uh, yeah. You know, due to quarterback play, coaching, a bunch of other things. Um, but finally, we get to our game. The Cowboys at the Giants, the whiteout. Yes. On Monday Night Football, Giants are favored by one. Holy smokes. And, Johnny, the Giants have not been 3-0 since 2009. That was the year the Giants started 5-0 and finished 8-8, missing the playoffs. So it has been a while. And the fact that the Giants are favored to go 3-0, even though it's only by one point, is absolutely remarkable. Who would have thought new coaching staff, Poor roster, three and oh, it's just, and again, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you last week. It just, does it feel right? It doesn't feel right. 
No, it doesn't feel real at all. I, I'm telling you, it's like I'm still like I feel like I'm on top of the world right now with this with this team. But it is amazing. A uh, couple of notes that I would make from this. Uh, number one, I think the key for the Cowboys in this one is Ezekiel Elliott. You know, if he can have his ground game going and keep the ball out of the hands of the Giants and keep that defense out on the field, I mean, have long sustained drives. That could be one way the Cowboys get this thing done. You know. We'll see what happens there on defense. I think the Giants' offensive line is going to have to play fantastic in this one, too. But, you know, it's different than playing at AT&T Stadium, going out to what's going to be a raucous MetLife Stadium there on Monday night. And if you look at the Giants' side also, you may be getting Kayvon Thibodeau back. I mean, it looks like he's trending in the right direction. So that's certainly a possibility. I mean, the the atmosphere in this uh, at MetLife Stadium here, I think is going to help in a tremendous way. I Divisional matchups, this has always been a, a, a rough spot for the Giants. These last several years have been divisional matchups, and it doesn't matter whether it's home or on the road. You know, I was more confident picking against the Giants last week than I am this week. I, I think the Giants find a way to get this done, but it's going to be a nail-biting close game. I think the Giants win. I think Saquon has a good game. I think Daniel Jones has a really good game as well. Um, outside of Micah Parsons, I'm not as high on this Dallas defense as a lot of people are. Uh, I don't like what they got going on at quarterback right now. Um, he's fine for the time being, but is he going to come in on the road and beat a divisional opponent? I don't know if he can get it done. Remember, they lost Amari Cooper. They won't have Dalton Schultz. Yeah. Who are they starting at tight end? But hell, their best weapon outside of C.D. Lamb is Noah Brown. Right. I mean, some of these guys have barely played in the NFL. The O-line is beat up. And just looking at the Cowboys' schedule here, could you think about – could they be looking at this as maybe like a, a get-over game because after the, the Giants, then you've got to take the Eagles – got to take on the Eagles and the Rams. Right. You know, on the, I believe both of those games are on the road too. With the way um, the schedule lines up, it, it – actually could turn out in their favor if you think well, about it. But. Yeah, it, it could be. You're right. But I just don't – this is going to be one of those like 19 to 16 kind of games again. I could definitely yeah. see that. It, take take the under, folks, if if you're watching. Yeah, what is the what is the over-under on the game? Let me take a look at it, at it right here. Um, I would I would imagine it's probably like 40-something. But Yeah, and if I remember correctly, last year – Everybody got hurt in that game in Dallas, the first meeting against the Cowboys. It just wasn't a good game. Uh, Barkley sprained his ankle, pop, popped his ankle on Tony. Uh, I think Jones may have gotten banged up in that game and came back in. Uh, Tony got hurt. A, a lot of players got hurt. and it, it wasn't a good look, and the Giants couldn't win the football game. But I, I do think the Giants are overdue to beat the Cowboys over under is thirty nine. Ah, uh, no, you you can't touch that because something tells me one team's going to hit twenty points. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't feel comfortable with that. That's that's totally fair. I, I get is. that. I'm not touching that. Yep, there it is, Brian. Over under is thirty nine. Yep, and the Giants have more. Vet. I mean, Sterling Shepard has been. A giant for a while now. He knows the Cowboys very well. You know, uh, Andrew Thomas is, again, the thing is, can they stop Micah Parsons? If Micah Parsons takes control of this game, the Giants are in trouble. They but can't allow that to happen. The other thing, too, I would say, too, 
who do you trust that coach in, the, in a big spot like this? I trust Dable. I don't it's, trust McCarthy. It's crazy. McCarthy's been coaching since 2006 as a head coach at the NFL level, and we trust Dable yeah. more than McCarthy, who's coached for 16 years in the NFL. Dable's coached for just two games. Yep. What is that? But, hey, we're both going big blue. You're gonna, be, you're, gonna be, you're gonna be sweating it though, Tom. I think it's gonna be. A, it's gonna be. You're, I think we're gonna be up all night. It's gonna uh, be a late night, night, and I, I think I have work the next day at eight a.m. So that will not be fun. But if come, but after three and out, but if they go three and out, I think we'll. I think it'll. We'll have a little bit of uh, adrenaline. If no. they go, it, Johnny. If they go three and out, that Bears game I'll be going to in week four is just gonna be so much more fun. Oh, absolutely, and that, and that's why four and zero. I mean, like, let's not get too greedy here, but that's why four and zero was not out of the realm of possibility after, you know, the, the opening win and then even beating up Carolina. So actually, I didn't tell you this. I'm in the same section as Hank. I'm a few rows behind them. So oh, it's going to be great. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, but uh, next up, this is our uh, last NFL talking point of the week: Week Three lock and upset. Uh, All right, let's. Johnny, if you're ready, I'll start with you for the lock. So we'll each do our lock one and one, and then we'll each do our upset. All right, let's take a look here at this one. Um, Well, it's kind of a low number. I get that. I mean, you know, if you've been hearing me throughout the show tonight, um, I'm not high at all on the uh, tight on the Titans. Um, I know it's very risky to take a road team, and especially one that comes from the West Coast to the East Coast, but I think that notion goes away. So my my lock is going to be the – and it's a, it's a low number too, so my lock is going to be the Raiders laying two on the road against Tennessee. And, and as far as my upset goes um, – let's take a look here real quick. Um you can just go you know, straight. No, you know what? I, I actually did say to you um, when we were when we did, we actually was in the pick segment. I think it's going to be the Commanders against yep. the Eagles. I, I I really do. You know, it's a short turnaround for the Eagles. You know, the Commanders in their first two games. I know they were behind big against the Lions, but they actually did show some life in the second half. There, they did play well enough, even though they had some flaws against the Jaguars. So I'm going to take that. And the reason why I wouldn't take the Chargers over the uh, the uh, the Jaguars is we don't know for sure if Kirk, if um, Justin Herbert's going to play. He's considered day to day right now, but until we definitely know his status, uh, I would stay away from that game. So I'm <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to this, but uh, so. My lock is, in fact, the Chargers over the Jaguars. Um, I, I do think Cher, uh, Herbert's going to play, and I don't trust the Chargers going out on the West Coast like this in, in week three. Um, I, I think Jacksonville will put in a fight, but I, I think the Chargers, for me, if Justin Herbert plays, uh, is the safest bet this week. That, that's very fair. And according to uh, Lindsay Theory over there at ESPN, she is reporting that Herbert's feeling more comfortable day-to-day, and that's from uh, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley. So it looks like it's trending in the right direction. And, look, the fact that it wasn't a bone um, sort of injury and it was just, you know, the rib problem, it was just the uh, – what they were calling it, um, 
definitely has to make you feel more comfortable as a Charger fan for sure. Absolutely. Um, and then for my upset, it's going to be the Packers over the Bucks. Uh, again, I had to pick one. And in our little quick picks thing for review and preview, that's what I picked. So I'm going mm-hmm. to stick with it and pick Green Bay over Tampa Bay. But um, it's one of those things where, yeah, the Packers win in the regular season, but I think the Bucks could come back to beat them in the playoffs. And one of the lock I could give you just for the heck of it is I love the Ravens laying two and a half up there in New England. I can't believe that number is actually that low. Uh, yeah. I'm not in love with New England at all. I think that's a part. I think the Ravens are going to be very angry coming off that uh, loss last week. Um, I don't know how the I don't know how the uh, Patriots put up points in this one. Maybe you could say because of the defense that the Ravens had, but the Patriots don't have much to offer on offense. I mean, look, they only scored 17 points last week, so I don't know how they put up a ton of points unless that defense completely falls apart there. But I'm going to stick with my original one, which was the Raiders laying two at Tennessee. Awesome. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely a good pick, Uh, but that'll wrap up our NFL talk of the night. And we're going to talk a little bit of baseball here to wrap up the show. Uh, Johnny, first off, congratulations. Uh, Aaron judge hits his 60th dinger of the year last night um how happy are you and um should judge win the mvp you know i'm happy for judge and i think what what's amazing about all this too is i think we're looking at one of if not the best offensive season from a player in in baseball history you know he's he is right up there right now who's possibly winning a triple crown this year you know, he's been he, he he has hit so well, not only with the power, but his average these last few weeks has jumped up so much. So that's why he's like now in the discussion here for the triple crown with the average, the home runs and the RBIs. But it's truly an unbelievable feat when you think about it, uh, Tom, when you look at, you know, the history of the New York Yankees, you know, Maris, uh, Mantle, Ruth, DiMaggio, you know, all these historical guys. But you now have Judge up there with the home run department. I mean, it's. It's great because it's also a homegrown guy, too. And coming on the heels of him becoming a free agent at the end of this year, um, it's it's truly is incredible and absolutely historic. That's for sure. Now, as far as the MVP goes, look, I mean, this is something I've gotten to with a lot of people. This There really should be no debate. It, it, it It's judge. And if we're going to talk about Otani, then what we need to do is we need to change the name of the award from most valuable player to most outstanding player. Because – I'm not taking anything away from what Otani's doing. I mean, again, that's something that's historical, you know, and unfortunately not being talked about enough in the baseball world with what Otani's doing. But if Otani's going to win the MVP award, we need to change the name of the award because it's he can win the most outstanding player. Like we like what we have in football, we have the offensive player of the year, offensive player of the week, or out, we can make it the most outstanding player of the year because then it would be Otani. But otherwise. There's no question to me that I think Judge has to win the MVP, and I think he's going to. And it's and it takes a year like Judge to to trump what Otani is actually doing. I think he should be MVP as well. Uh, on top of the reasons that you just stated, the fact that you take him out of this Yankees lineup, what are the Yankees, right? Like, yeah. who is that guy? I don't think you could name a guy. I mean, yeah, I feel like it's a combination of guys, like Stanton and maybe another guy or two to compensate for judge. And that's why I think it's so important that the Yankees keep him long-term and, you know, to hit 60 
or more home runs for the second time in his career now uh, really speaks volumes to the type of player that he is. You know, I'm sorry. I think he's 52 his rookie. Yeah, 50, 52. yeah 52 in his rookie year. Yeah. Pardon me. So That's okay. We I, for know some reason, saying. I had 62 stuck in my head. But Well, you've probably heard that number so much in the last week or so, right? Yeah, but 52 is what he hit, and um, now he's at 60. So this is a new career high for Judge, and I think, realistically speaking, uh, if you don't name him MVP, again, it has to be Otani. That would be the runner-up, in my opinion, but – Without Aaron Judge, the Yankees don't win the AL East, in my opinion. I think the AL East is that good. I think it goes to Toronto. Yep. I really do. I think Toronto – I mean, you saw the smacking the Blue Jays gave last night. So they're dangerous. But congratulations once again to Aaron Judge hitting his 60th home run of the season. And you know what I love that they're doing real quick with Judge yep. here is the last couple of weeks they've been putting him in the leadoff spot. Now, I don't, that's, I don't believe he's a leadoff hitter, but – with all the injuries that the Yankees have been dealing with these last couple of weeks to LeMayhew, to uh, Benintendi, and to Rizzo before Rizzo just came back recently, I mean, you really didn't have many other options that you could put up in that leadoff spot. Mm-hmm. So what they're going to do, if Judge is going to lead off, you're not going to intentionally walk Judge to lead off the game, either the top or the bottom half of the first inning. So I think that's, you know, it allows him to, you know, lead off games with home runs. But uh, he's got two more doubles today, by the way. So his average just continues to jump up. So, Barring something crazy happening, it looks like he could even win the Triple Crown this year, which would just add on to it even more. And then it'll be all about the offseason if the Yankees are willing to go to a ninth or a tenth year or go to the uh, crazy amount of money that, you know, he's going to deserve and see if the Yankees are going are to go there. Absolutely. I think that's very well said. And quickly, last thing here, let's move on to the other side of town. And this is a topic that, you know, I'm very passionate about. I know you are, yes. Map. Will the Mets win the NL East? Uh, <laughs> I hope so, because both the Mets and the Braves lost today, but they have now both clinched playoff spots. So the yep. Dodgers have clinched their division. The Astros have clinched their division, and the Mets and Braves have both clinched the playoff spot. Um, Johnny, I, I guess I'll get to you first here. Yep. What do you think about this? Because I'm looking in. The Braves have a weekend series coming up against the Phillies that start tomorrow, and the Phillies have lost five in a row. Yeah, you know, I was on with Hank last night on Hidden for the Cycle, and uh, I said that I think this is going to go down to the last week of the year. Because if you really look at it, the Braves had a good chance here to really take over the NL East and actually put a couple of games away. But when the Mets were hitting their little slide here, and, and, you know, they don't have consecutive losing streaks, but they have, you know, streaks where they lose, you know, with stretches where they lose two out of three, maybe four out of six, but they don't lose six in a row. And I think that's, that speaks volumes to how great this, this uh, roster is, is uh, set up and constructed. But, you know, when the Mets were having that little bit of a struggle and the Braves were out on the West Coast and they were playing the Mariners and the Giants, they were not able to take advantage. And I think that one Sunday game in Seattle when they scored five runs in the top of the ninth and then lost by giving up six in the bottom half, I think made me feel like, you know what, this, is, this division is going to go down to the last – week of the year now I know they have one more series with each other coming up but the way that these two teams are it's going to go down to the last week and I think Tom it is very very important here if you're the Mets to win this NL East because I don't think you want to be going into the wild card and having to go through DeGrom and Scherzer and burn them in the wild card situation so if the Mets were able to line up their pitching staff uh, right, they could challenge any team in the National League and I would even say the 59 or 60 game over 500 
Los Angeles Dodgers. If you could line that, if you could line up Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer in games one and two against the Dodgers, you actually have a chance in that series because for as great as the Dodgers are, and don't get me wrong, they're outstanding. Their lineup is much better than the Mets. I would give you that, but their pitching staff's not as good. I mean, you know, they don't have Walker Bueller for the rest of the year. They don't have, um, Right now, they don't have Godson. We don't Godson. know if he's going to come back and what shape yeah. he's going to be. I mean, you're going in with Arias, who's great, Clayton Kershaw, who we know is a Hall of Famer, but can he stay healthy? And, you know, Andrew Heaney and Tyler Anderson, who I know have had good years, but are they going to be able to do it in the playoffs? And then that back end of the bullpen is not good. So the Mets have a chance here. Now, of course, they have to get to that spot, but I'm just saying the way that the Mets can be, they can position themselves up against any team in this National League for sure. Yeah, I, I think the problem, too, if they meet with the Dodgers is while their pitching isn't great, their hitting makes up for what their pitching lacks. They could score like five, six runs easy in an inning on you, and you can go to bed knowing that your team has lost. Yeah. Um, that's what's so dangerous about the Dodgers, and that's why they've won 103 games already. Uh, but, but back to the question at hand, Johnny, I, I don't see it happening for us Mets. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to stick with what I've been predicting the whole season, and Look, not, not not that I want this to happen because I think it's very unfair for the more optimistic Mets fans to come out and say, well, if you don't think the Mets are going to win this division, you might as well not be a fan. And I, I've gotten that a lot this year. But at the same time, you can still hope and admit this has been a remarkable year. I love what I'm seeing out of Buck Showalter and this Mets lineup. It's just Nimmo got hurt today. The bullpen has been shaky. They took two out of three from the Brewers, but they barely took two out of three from the Brewers. Um, And it shouldn't be this close, Johnny. Uh, A lot of people are giving the Braves all the credit, but at the same time, you have to fault the Mets just a little bit for making it this close. You knew they were going, going to go into a slide, but they've also put themselves in this position now where they have to grind it out rather than continuing to win baseball games like they should have been doing against these subpar 500 teams. Some of them in last place, you can't lose uh, three games at home to the Cubs. You can't lose a series to the Pirates or the Nationals. That's unacceptable. But the Mets have done all of that, and that's why they're in this position, and that's why we're having here uh, this conversation. Yeah, I'm going to meet you halfway on this, Tom. I'm, I'm optimistic about the Mets this year, but I would also say at the same time, I don't. I, the reason why I think we're in this position right now, I think, is not because the Mets are. Now they are. I understand. I understand they're in a little bit of a slump, but it's not like they're playing 500 baseball since you know June or July. There was a stretch where they were 50 and 33, and the Braves were 61 and 24. So I don't think it's the reason why we're in this spot is because of the, of the Mets. I think it's because the Braves are actually that good. And if it ends up being that the Braves do win this NL East. I don't think it'll be because of the Mets. I think it'll just be because the Braves are just a better team. Because, you know, it, it takes a stretch like that to make up that kind of ground when you're playing 15, 17 games over 500. I mean, if you you realize if you start, if you went six and four every 10 games in baseball, you'd win 96 games. And that would be remarkable. But it would take an unbelievable stretch like the Braves are doing. And look at what they are doing. They've been doing most of this lately without Albies. You know, they've had Spencer Strider, who's been unbelievable in his rookie season. I understand he's dealing a little bit of an oblique soreness right now, and he's, they just skipped his most recent start. But I don't even think it's really the Mets. I think it's because the Braves are just that that good. And that's why I think that the Braves are going to overtake the Mets here, but I think it's not because of the Mets. I think it's because the Braves are just that good. 
Yeah. See, I mean, the the thing with me is, I mean, there's nights where the Grom still doesn't get run support. There's still nights where you're just scratching your head and saying, like, what is this team? Are the Mets actually a playoff team or are they just a pretended team? Because we've seen that at points this season. And that's that is what concerns me. And you've seen it with the Braves as well. But in this stretch, I think you've seen it more with the Mets than the Braves. I think the Braves have just gotten super hot at the right time. And I do think they are the slightly better baseball team all around, um, especially with Albies coming back. Um, Ozzy Albies, I, I think that's a huge addition for them as where the Mets might be losing Nimmo. Uh, they're just getting Scherzer and uh, Tyler McGill back. Thank goodness. Cause they need them because Taiwan Walker gets rocked around like every start now. <laughs> and the start that Carrasco had the other night wasn't good. He only lasted two innings. So Trevor Williams had to bail them out. Yeah. So now it's kind of like a situation where you don't know what your starting rotation is going to be come playoff time. Like you can make the argument that the Braves might even have the better all-around rotation because outside of the Grom and Scherzer, there's a huge drop-off after those two. Well, that's right? see, now see that's where we're gonna that that's actually legitimate here because right now I think your your number three starter in the playoffs, if you were playing in a in a, in a five-game or seven-game series, would probably have to be Bassett. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Taiwan Walker, you know, is a very is a swing guy because he could have starts that he had against the Braves, or I think it was the Braves where uh, he gives up a, he goes an inning plus and gives up eight runs, or he has a start against this most recent start against the Pirates where he goes seven and a third and doesn't give up and gives you a quality start. So there yeah. are some swings in all of this, but yeah, the Walkers and the Carrascos are going to be swing guys. But I don't think either of the barring an injury, neither of those two are going to be uh, starting in the same series. I think one of them is going to go to the bullpen. I think Tyler, Tyler McGill is already saying that he's going to the bullpen uh, being activated because the rotation is as is. So there is a little bit of a drop off, but I mean, that's why I think it's imperative. If you can get DeGrom and Scherzer in games one and two of a series and use those guys as much as possible, then I think you do have a very, very good chance. Right. Yeah. I think DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett and Carrasco would be my ideal four. And that should, and you know what? There's a good shot that that would be able to get it done most of the time. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, if DeGrom and Scherzer decide to have a very, very rare rough start, then that's where you kind of get screwed. Yeah. But I am hopeful. I do think there's a good shot the Mets win this division, but uh, I'm going to go with the Braves here by a game or two, uh, unfortunately, to be unbiased. But uh, that's that's kind of where I have it at, but I think it goes down to the last week of the year and it's going to be very, very exciting. I'm very proud of what this Mets team has accomplished this year, regardless of what happens at the end of the season. I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, You know, Pete Alonso has been fantastic. Lindor's took steps in the right direction. Uh, I really like Jeff McNeil getting his bat uh, back. And then the additions of guys like Starling Marte, Chris Bassett and Mark Hanha. Those guys have been great. And next year, you're looking at Brett Beatty coming back potentially. Um, You know, in a year or two, you could bring up Francisco Alvarez whenever he's ready. So there is some bright spots coming up for the Mets. I mean, the problem is how long is this core lineup going to be together? I think that's the question that you have to really sit down and ask yourself. But um, that's going to wrap up the show. I want to thank everybody for watching here tonight. If you haven't checked us out already, there's all our social media below, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, YouTube, and TikTok as well. We have made a TikTok account as of the last few months. Make sure to like and share the show. It helps with the algorithms. We appreciate everybody for watching. 
Um, TJ says, let's go. Give that a thank you. I think that's my buddy, uh, Tom John Pierre. Appreciate you, Tom. Hope you're uh, doing well uh, down in D.C. Hope you enjoyed Notre Dame this past week. I know you didn't get to see the game, but you got to go there for work, which was awesome. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah. So uh, appreciate you, Tom. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Johnny, any final thoughts here before we sign off? Um, I'm excited about this weekend to see what the, uh, the Giants could do against the the Cowboys. I think that's going to be great. Um, you know, the college slate's kind of quiet this week when you look at it, but I think the, the pro slate on Sunday is great. And baseball, I'll say this, you know, there's the regular season ends two weeks from today, and we still have a lot of individual feats that we don't that are still in the works, and there are still um, a bunch of you know postseason spots that have not been secured just yet. So it's going to be a crazy final two weeks of the regular season for sure. Absolutely, and Johnny, thank you so much again for joining tonight. Your analysis and commentary is always welcome at any time. Thank you, on Tom. behalf of Johnny Montalbano. I'm Tom Scavetta. Saying so long, Johnny. Appreciate you again. You've been watching Review and Preview here on YouTube and Facebook Live. Have a good night. Good night, everybody.